0: Six. On 2FM.
1: Yes, big thanks to Emma Power for keeping us entertained this afternoon it is Wednesday January 11th I'm Shane Dawson and you are listening to Game On coming up over the next hour Conan Byrne will cast his eye over the latest Premier League transfers Carabao Cup action and partake in a very interesting conversation with Conor Curran who is presenting a fascinating conference this weekend on the history of the League of Ireland Keane Tracy will be joining us to look ahead at a big weekend of European action for the Irish provinces and Damien Lawler will be dialing in with the latest Gaelic game stories a packed show as always if you want to get in touch well please do so drop us a text 51552 or tweet us at Game On 2FM
0: Game On on 2FM
1: Yes good evening it's great to have your company on this Wednesday evening I'm in the company of Conan Byrne and Keane Tracy gentlemen how are we Conan how's things? Not too bad Shane yourself? Very well thank you Keane keep them All good, thanks Shane. Good, good. We're going to start with a couple of news headlines actually before we chat. Soccer Conan uh, and they are starting with boxing. World champion Lisa O'Rourke has been ruled out of the National Elite Boxing Championships. The Roscommon fighter sustained a broken thumb in a sparring session following surgery. The thumb is now in a cast. Her clash with Amy Broadhurst in the welterweight division was expected to be one of the highlights of the championships which start this weekend. Broadhurst, who is world champion at 63kg, will move up to the Olympic weight of sixty. 66 kg and face Casey Rock, Euro under 22, bronze medalist last year in a semi final on Saturday. So, with Kelly Harrington boxing at 60 kg, Broadhurst now at 66 kg. So, that will be interesting. Um, our second bit of news uh, listeners are probably already aware of this, but we were chatting last Thursday with Shep, Jeff Shepard on Iron America, and we uh, detailed the story of Damar Hamlin and his cardiac arrest and the serious um, ongoings there. But Some very surprising but brilliant news today. Uh, The Buffalo Bills release a statement saying Damar Hamlin has been discharged from Buffalo General Medical Centre Gates Vascular Institute in New York. Hamlin was admitted on Monday and went through a comprehensive medical evaluation as well as a series of cardiac, neurological and vascular testing on Tuesday. So Jamie Nadler MD Critical Care Physician and Chief Quality Officer at Caladia Health and the Care Team Lead for Hamlin said we have completed a series of tests and evaluations and in consultation with the team's uh, physicians we are confident that the mare can be safely discharged to continue his rehabilitation at home and with the bills fantastic news and Such a a quick turnaround. Uh, Very unbelievable stuff there. Uh, Very briefly, the meeting at Clonmel has rained off uh, for today in racing. That is going to post next Tuesday. And congratulations to four time Grand Slam champion Naomi Osaka who has announced she's pregnant. The Japanese former world number one, 25 years of age, withdrew from the Australian Open earlier this week, having not played since September. So uh, she'll be out of action next year and be back in 2024. Sinead for the news headlines, Conan Byrne, Let's Chat Soccer, plenty going on in England. Uh, The Carabao Cup is ongoing, couple of transfers. Um, But first, news to me, Conan Byrne, former League of Ireland footballer, former footballer up north, you're uh, in studio in a River Alley Rangers shirt. And I I don't mean to throw Keane Tracy under the bus here, but But I did enjoy his uh, opening question of, River Valley Rangers now, who are they? That's my
0: best limerick in me now to, to be fair,
2: yeah. so no uh, yeah, I am off the training after this Shane.
0: Okay. So, uh, so you're
1: still playing ball? I'm oh, still
2: playing, yeah of course. I'll uh, you'll have to. I'll be on a walking stick before I finish playing <laughs> Shane.
1: <laughs> great stuff, great stuff. Uh, no, I'm delighted at that. Back back to the roots, is that
0: where
2: you Oh No, I no? started with another team in Swords and then oh. went there before I played senior football there at, six, at 17, I think, before I went to League of Ireland. So oh, OK. I've okay. gone back Controversial. to senior side. What yeah. The Is your, like,
0: yeah. <laughs> what the lads that you played when you were younger? Think of that.
2: Yeah. Yeah, they weren't too... Best please. Now it's different in the whole the Gaelic when you can kind of uproot and go somewhere else. Oh cross, okay. Like it's yeah. a valley between Swords and River Valley so I crossed the valley. Is this like
1: Shelbyville? Like yeah. Shelbyville Springfield Quite, yeah. kind of?
2: Could be, <laughs> could be similar enough to it now. Yeah. yeah.
1: Conan <laughs> bird starting the Swords Civil War. <laughs> um, right. Talk to me about uh, football in England. Uh, Man United had a good win in the Carabao Cup uh, last night against Charlton. Now, actually, I was amazed by a stat today. Eric Den Hag has won 20 of his first 27 games in charge of United, the fewest games taken to reach 20 competitive wins by any manager in the club's history. King Eric, can he truly, can he really take the club back to the previous dizzy
2: heights of Ferguson at all? Well, he's gone the right way. Like you, you mentioned the stat there of 20 and 27, percent win rate. Nothing like that. You know, since um, and you're going back to before Fergie time, Um, not the injury time now of Fergie time, but the uh, the uh, just since him being manager. So I think there's three things that we need to discuss here about Ten uh, ten Hag, Um, and one of them is the Ronaldo situation. I think he's been honest and candid with the media um, since that. Uh, debacle started and after Ronaldo left the club he was ruthless in his assessment of Ronaldo um, quoted as saying that he can't accept an interview like that as a, as a football club um, there had to be consequences but I think the favourite line my favourite line out of all of that was that I, when he said I think the club can only be successful when all the decision makers in the club are on one page and they back each other and I think that just goes to show that everyone agreed at the club that Ronaldo had to go and mm. um, my second point on Den Haag is that the form or the re-emergence of form, the return to form of the attacking players at the club, the likes of Anthony Martial and, and Marcus Rashford and probably focus on Marcus Rashford first, um, in the sense that a lot of, there was a lot of talk about him like getting criticised over his charity work, um, the food bank and rubbish talk basically, mm. um, because as footballers you do get a lot of time off and um he did it under the spotlight, I suppose. Um, but very positive thing to do as a footballer. So I don't think he could be he could be condemned for for that type of work that he was doing. But I think it was the post Euros, the disappointment of missing the um, of the, the racist abuse that he suffered, which was absolutely dreadful. Missing the penalty in the, f- penalty in the final, um, and his form dipped massively after that. Now you could argue that his form wasn't great that that season itself. But I think last year there was even talk that he could. Move on from from Old Trafford, um, but he's come back from that. Um, scored seven seven goals in seven games now, and funnily enough, like his goals that he has scored, his last five goals have come in the seventy sixth, eighty sixth, ninetieth, ninety fourth, and ninety seventh minute. So it just goes to show that the important times of a game, he's still willing and able to get to get in and score goals. And um, a huge year for him, and Anthony as well. I think has been such an important player. Mm. In the last couple of weeks, since since the World Cup, and I think there was a lot of pressure put on him when he joined Manchester United for 100 million euros, there thereabouts, and obviously living in Paul Pogba's house, coming over from Amsterdam, growing up in Sao Paulo in in such a, a poor area of the world, um, he was a late developer as a footballer. He only really got noticed at Sao Paulo's under 20 team, um, so when he was growing up at 14, 15, 16, he wouldn't wouldn't be one of those players that looks like like a ne- Neymar, Rabinho, where people. Are, him up for a mm. very very long time so to come over at Manchester United in a World Cup year with all that behind him it was going to be very very tough he's only had 15 games remember as well and since he's come back from the World Cup um, I think he's done really really well and obviously he still has a lot to develop uh, in terms of his strength and physique for the Premier League but I think he's doing really really well and and finally just his, his defen- the defensive actions that, that Ten Hag has put in at the club like you need to have a strong personality to drop the captain in Harry Maguire he's done that he's Experienced, but Shaw at centre back, um, Varane and himself have done have done really really well against Nottingham Forest and Wolves. Um, Maguire and Lindelof Lindelof came in against Bournemouth. They did okay, so I think he's done really really well, and he's made the big the big calls when he's needed to and I think the most important thing about Ten Hag is that the supporters now trust him and I don't think that's happened at Manchester United for the last number of years
1: Yeah there is certainly (coughs) excuse me buy-in I was recently actually in Old Trafford last week you lose the run of yourself in this this post Christmas early January but it's over in Old Trafford and there is that's that's sort of they haven't won trophies but they're winning games again and there is that buzz back around the area so yeah it will be very interesting to see uh, how the Manchester derby comes and how United approach, considering they are on form. Uh, that's the early kickoff on Saturday half twelve. Uh, there is a reliance, I suppose, Man United on the first team players because they don't necessarily have strength and depth, and that moves me on very nicely to Chelsea because we are talking transfers and Joe Felix um, is well, he's been confirmed. But I did like the summation really, Daniel's story, the, the journalist, because now there's rumours that Aubameyang could be leaving Chelsea, and he rounded up perfectly and coherently of so Chelsea could let a player go for free six months after they signed him for £10 million, who six months earlier had been let go for free, all to incorporate a the player they have signed for six months for £10 million before letting him go for free. Yeah. So th- there's Chelsea's uh, model anyway. But uh, is is... Oh, not the abuse but is the criticism perhaps in Graham Potter somewhat unfair I know he was out in media today and said listen Klopp has got it Arteta got it Pep got it at the start of their tenures with their respective clubs but you look at the amount of players that are injured for Chelsea he's been dealt a
2: very difficult task at the start of what is obviously a high profile gig yeah, I have huge respect for, for Potter. I think he's really, really good. And every report or statement that has that has come out over the last <coughs> number of days have, have backed him until the end of the season. Um except one that states actually that, that Pochettino will be considered. Um mm. but you know, look, you never know. Look, one win in all seven in one win in seven in all competitions isn't great. Um but you have a look at those games that they played. It was Arsenal in the Premier League, they had three three games against Manchester City, obviously League Cup. FA, 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 Cup, FA Cup and the Premier League lost all of those and then Newcastle away Villa away and a draw against Forest as well so in those games like, there was 9 players unavailable for the Newcastle away game where they were beaten 1-0 um, so it's, no matter who you are that's going to be very very difficult and there's, there's a lot of change going on behind the scenes at Chelsea as well with Ted as has obviously stepped down mm. as sporting director and he's not going to be in con- complete control of, of signings and, and the new technical director Paul Vivel, previous of Leip, uh, Leipzig and um, Red Bull Salzburg as well so he's huge reputation and bringing in the likes of Joao Felix as you say it's just more and more players coming into the club and you just Atletico have, have done wonders with this deal I haven't they like 6 months 11 million euros as you had 10 million pounds and for a player and obviously he got a one year extension to his Atletico mm. deal for go, for coming to Chelsea too so he's um, but but he must be
1: going like there has to be a reason like if he's coming in six months like I know I think it was Fabrizio Romano was saying that this won't affect it in Kunku deal that, that's going to happen in the summer like if you're Felix you're a high profile player you're not going to Chelsea in its current state unless you have assurances that there might be a
2: couple of other players coming in or like what's the attraction there? I suppose he's getting the chance to play in the Premier League and rightly or wrongly people will say that's probably the the most popular league in the world um, and he's going to be plying his trade there and seeing how he gets on and if it goes well for him who knows um, but he's going into a team now that are suffering as I said in, in, with injuries like Pulisic obviously for after John Stone's tackle um, will be out for a couple of months um, Raheem Sterling then you have the wing backs of Rhys James um, Ben Chilwell Wesley Fafan is out injured as well um, so it's going to be a, a He's gonna go straight into the team. I think that that's pretty obvious, mm. um, and it'll probably be he'll probably play off Havertz. So it's gonna be it's gonna be an interesting one, I have to say. But I, as I said with Potter, I, I do really like him. I, I think he's very honest in his assessments. He's saying it's not being good enough, and it's, it, they're suffering as a football club with the resu- with the with the results of the injuries that have occurred, um, and it's just they're not positive enough uh, um, results in the last couple of weeks. But big game against St. P- uh, Crystal Palace now on Sunday. Um, to turn it around and all all eyes will be on Felix Absolutely they will a couple of uh, Carabao Cup matches this evening as
1: well with possible Irish interest in Southampton Man City if Bizzuno does start as well City not going great in the Premier League and Wolves not going great in the Premier League either they're away to forest but that is all we have time for for football we're going to be chatting rugby with Keane Tracy in a few moments time. Game on Rugby now, you're very welcome back to Game On. Before we chat rugby with Keane Tracy from the Irish Independence, some breaking news from the FAI, and that is that the Football Association of Ireland has today informed members of the General Assembly of Roy Barrett's intention to step down from his position as chair of the FAI board. Independent director Gary Tuhig is also to step down and will now not be seeking ratification as a director of the FAI at a resumed AGM on January 21st. Roy Barrett, of course, took up his uh, position of chairperson in 2020 at a critical time and has been a key figure in stabilising the association over the past three years. He has confirmed he will continue in his role until such time as a suitable replacement is appointed in the coming months. So that uh, news in from the FBI the, the, that actually statement goes on but Gary Tuig uh, of course was first elected to the board as an independent member at the May 2021 AGM and subsequently appointed as chairperson of the FBI's commercial committee in his, in this role he has supported the restructure of the FBI's commercial, marketing and communications functions so Interesting to see how that will affect football in Ireland and we will be chatting football in Ireland and the history of the League of Ireland a little bit later with a uh, historian Conor Curran and Conan Burns sticking around. However, Keen Tracy, I've made you wait long enough now. Time <laughs> to, to chat rugby. Um, and it's a big weekend uh, in the... Well, Champions Cup and the Challenge Cup as well for Irish Provinces. 1pm uh, Saturday, Gloucester-Leinster, 315 Munster-Northampton, half-six, La Rochelle-Ulster and in the Challenge Cup, Connacht host brief at half-five. Let us start chronologically. So, Gloucester-Leinster, Stuart Lancaster um, has mentioned the Osprey's battle is the perfect prep for Leinster ahead of a Gloucester clash at Kings home, it was 57 nil or something in the, the previous fixture, albeit with a second uh, string side. Will this one be a bit more competitive?
0: Uh, yeah, like, I mean, you'd, you'd have to hope it will be. Like, the Gloucester sending their second string team was so disappointing before Christmas, I and mean, Leinster won't care, they won 57 0. And Leinster have their sights set in get, getting top seeds, but the second game in the tournament, and like, what harm Gloucester had actually won their first game as well, so it was really disappointing you kind of have to feel for the supporters who paid good-hearted money before Christmas coming over as well. So, for sure, Leinster are going to face a much tougher task this week. Uh, my understanding is even Leinster haven't even referred to the first game in their their preparation this week because there's no point. Um, I think you could conceivably uh, see 15 changes, if not to the entire 23. So, that's what you're talking about. At Gloucester a different prospect at home. They've targeted this game as getting something out of it. They're not necessarily out of the tournament. Like The, the, the format of the, the Champions Cup is really frustrating, I think, is is what you'd say. Like For a team like Gloucester, who have already lost 57-0, they can still qualify, and actually they are. They're in eighth position in their pool at the moment, so if, if the tournament uh, was heading to the knockout stages mm-hmm. now, they'd be in the, the round of 16, which is ludicrous, really, when you think about it. So, Look, none of that is Leinster's concern. Leinster, like I said, have their sights getting a top seed. And the reality is that this weekend, if everything goes according to plan for Leinster, this weekend could be the last time that they're away from home from now until the final. So that is a massive, massive carrot. So obviously, the Champions Cup final is on in the Aviva Stadium next May. If Leinster finishes top seeds, they'll have home advantage for the round of 16, for the quarterfinal, and for the semi final. So we've seen in rugby, like over the last couple of years in particular, how difficult or how important home advantage is. And Leinster, just as Ireland, are are bloody difficult to beat at the Aviva Stadium. So um, Leinster, obviously, you know, the drive for five is there, it for that fifth star. Johnny Sexton's last season, Stuart Lancaster's last season. So there is definitely a sense of it's now or never for this particular group.
1: So when it's all said and done, are we looking at a Leinster hard-fought victory Saturday as opposed to the Leinster comfortable victory last time these sides met? Or will it be, could Gloucester even win, in your opinion?
0: Uh, I would be surprised if Gloucester won I mean you just look at the form that Leinster have been in I mean Sturt Lancaster referenced the the Ospreys game last weekend like yeah good preparation but the reality is it's going to be a very different Leinster team that's going to be sent to home as well you've got like guys like Gary Ringrose playing out of his skin at the moment is going to come back into the team so um, and obviously the Six Nations around the corner as well so guys want to make sure they're putting their hands up for that you've seen it like all season Leinster unbeaten in what is it now 13 games um, they're relentless even like in that Ospreys game even in the Munster game Stephens Day not necessarily at their best but finding a way to win but they've been irresistible in the Champions Cup even going away to Rassing would have been perceived as you know, the most difficult game that they've had in the pool stages they blew them away to the point that Rassing's Champions Cup hopes are hanging by a thread now and they're obviously coming to Dublin next week they might send a second string team they might have one eye on the top 14 so uh, it's very hard to see Leinster being beaten in the format they at the moment Shane.
1: Okay. Uh, Moving on to Munster Northampton 315 in Thoman Park. It's more than 11 years. Uh, since the last time Northampton States visited Thoman Park the province have played 192 games in Europe's premier competition across the last 27 years and the 23-21 win against the Saints in, 20, in 2011 ranks right up there mm-hmm. with the most iconic the words of Neil Tracy in the RT Sport website would you agree one of the greats?
0: Oh that was yeah special what was it 41 phases and Ron Nogara drops a goal at, at right at the death and um, I saw Dennis Leamy was up for media yesterday and he was the one who actually played the pass for, for Ron Nogara yeah. a, a bit of a Wobbly pass, I think he called it himself as well. So yeah, like iconic, one of the great kind of monster, monster victories. I think it's very different. I was over in the return leg in um, Northampton before Christmas. I think you'd have to say. Both teams are not at the, the glory years. I mean, even you think back to Munster's first Heineken Cup final and they were beaten by um, Northampton. So I think both teams are a long way off that. But the reality is for Munster this weekend that Northampton could well send a second string team to Thoma Park because they've lost both of their games um, so far this season. And they will definitely have one eye on the premiership and consolidating the their playoff spot that they're pushing for. So this is a game that Munster should definitely be targeting to win but I think there could potentially be a bonus point on offer for them as well they're, they've they've come through I think a sticky spell as well we've seen much more kind of signs of what they're trying to do I know you were down in Limerick yesterday they kind of opened their doors and showed everyone like it's brilliant it, that to me like you know open your doors and saying come and watch us train says to me like a team that are really confident now in the direction that they're heading because I don't think that you, they weren't going to do that when they were losing the games at the start of the season so it'd be brilliant if more teams did, did do that because I heard anyone who went down I heard it was really fascinating so uh, yeah they're in a good place I think that the team selection will be interesting you've got a lot of the younger guys putting their hand up and I think one thing about the the Graham Roundry era so far, which I don't think we could have said the same under Johan van Grand is players are being picked on form and not reputation. So um, I think there's a couple of big dis- selection decisions here, but the younger players are being trusted, which again, I don't think that was the case under in the previous year as well. And I think they're reaping the rewards of that. And the, the knock-on effect is that the fans are, are buying into it much more as well. Like there's definitely more of a rejuvenation around Munster and a feel-good factor that's probably been missing over the last few years.
1: Yeah, you mentioned it. I was actually I interviewed Tyke Byrne um for Saturday's show on, on R T television and he kind of pretty much echoed that as well in terms of that change and everyone's buying in and the outside noise didn't affect them and everything else. And you could see the what is it, the, the chaos games, I think is the mm. the title and on, on what they put the training matches. And it was the pace of it was just it was scary it was yeah, ridiculous
0: and like it was i w- that was the the word i kind of picked out from what, what I was reading from Dennis Leamy as well and that's straight out of the Stuart Lancaster playbook i mean comfortable in chaos like that's what he kind of um instilled in Leinster and Ron O'Gara came up with you know KBA keep the ball alive so it's all very similar but you got to remember as well that like Dennis Leamy has spent the last couple of years in the Leinster setup so he's seen up close and personal how Leinster are train, training behind the scenes so what better man to come back to Munster and bring all that ip so um again I think Munster like it, it, it. it's always going to take time to to change habits of the players because the game plan that they're playing now is a world away from what they were playing on, yeah. in, the, in the previous year so that was always going to take time to implement but there's going to be far more buy-in from the players when you're being involved more you're not just chasing box kicks and like I said the supporters are buying into it as well so this is a great opportunity for, for Munster this weekend I think to, to get a win if not a bonus point win
1: Absolutely Munster's feel-good uh, relationship with the media brilliant mm-hmm. to see Long
0: May I continue? Yeah,
1: brilliant to see. <laughs> um, just very briefly, Mossy Lawler uh, leaving Connacht in the summer, joining Munster. Good signing. What will he bring to Munster?
0: Yeah, it's it's a, it's a very good signing. I mean, obviously he played for Munster 58 times, I think it was. Um, like his family have, are still based in Limerick, so I think he was commuting a lot of the time up and down to, to Galway. So yeah, like he's, he's done great work at Connacht. He started there in the academy. Um, Munster haven't had a skills coach for as long as I can remember. And it's been a bit of a gap, I think, in their coaching in their coaching staff. So to me, that points even more to the expansive type of game plan that they're playing. Because what it'll do is, I'm sure Mike Prendergast is probably the one who's working on that, but he has enough and has played in terms of looking after the attack. So if you get a guy, and of course, it's another homegrown coach coming onto the staff who knows what Munster are about, who can kind of focus on the skill set of the players. Because I think one of the criticisms of Munster over the last few years would have been that the skill set wasn't where it needs to be clearly they've recognised that they've gone out and gotten a guy who's highly rated within the Irish system obviously he's been looking after the, the Connacht attack for the last couple of years and also you'll have the, the interesting dynamic that he's going to be coaching his nephew Craig Casey which is which is very interesting they would have they would have worked together when Craig was in Ardskull Rich in Limerick and Mossy was the head coach when he was um, coaching Senior Cup so that's okay. a v- pretty cool dynamic as well
1: Absolutely well it will be interesting to see uh, That moves us on to Connacht then, I suppose, because Massey Lawler will be leaving the Connacht coaching uh, set up to go uh, join Munster. Andy Friend is also uh, due to be leaving Connacht. Uh, Wilkins, who's currently the head coach, yet to even be interviewed for the long-term replacement there. I mean, what's, what's the story with Connacht at the moment? Not great in the URC, but going well in the Challenge Cup by all accounts.
0: Yeah, like the, it was always inter- going to be interesting to see how they approach the, the Challenge Cup, where they're kind of going to go full in and use that as maybe an avenue to qualify for the Champions Cup next season because, of course, the winners will go through because they're not guaranteed by any means to get Champions Cup qualification via the URC. Now, they did have a really good win last weekend against the Sharks, albeit a second-string uh, Sharks team. But I think they've used the Challenge Cup really cleverly. They've blooded a lot of young players. They've got two wins. They're playing brief um, this weekend. But I think the big challenge for Ulster this season was to... As soon as Andy Friend announced that he was leaving, it was to make sure that the season didn't go off the rails. Like in any sport, how often have you seen when, you know, a manager well, it wouldn't happen in football of course, but it does happen in rugby that they don't renew their contract. So you didn't want you like it's up to the players to make sure that this isn't a wasted season. Like there's huge financial value in making sure that they're back in the Champions Cup next season. And it is very interesting. I think a lot of people would have expected Pete Wilkins to to step into Andy Friend's shoes, particularly like, you know, Pete Wilkins was brought on the, the New Zealand tour last summer as well. Clearly, like he's been groomed for for bigger for bigger things, but with Mossy Lawler leaving now as well and Andy Friend leaving clearly like there's going to be huge upheaval at Connacht which is probably not what they need because Andy Friend has done a huge uh, brilliant job and he will leave a considerable void but I think they have been preparing for I think Andy Friend made it clear when he signed his latest contract offer a couple of years ago that this was going to be his last so Connacht have known this was on the cards so uh, it'll be very interesting to see who they have lined up
1: Always big shoes to fill from Lamb the friend and mm. now, what happens and next? And Kieran
0: Keane in between, which was a Sorry, disa- yeah. which was a disaster as well. And that, like the Kieran Keane example, shows you how badly it can go wrong because that was a totally lost season. Like the fact you didn't even remember it. Yeah. There, you know, like people forget about that, but it was an absolute disaster. So Andy Friend came in there and picked up the pieces and has very much got Connors back and back on track. But it's now about getting someone in to build on those foundations. I think.
1: And they are going to have a bruising encounter against Brieve by all accounts. A couple of injuries from uh, the first fixture. Uh, is Away in France as well, but they do welcome Jared Butler back as well. But they have a host of injuries as well, so we'll be interested to see uh, if they can continue their good Challenge Cup run. Uh, Ulster as well are in action. Uh, they are away in France, half six on Saturday. La Rochelle, what's the story with Ulster at the moment? <laughs> like,
0: what, what's happening? Like, it's, it's just hot and cold. Yeah, well, the, the fact that Dan McFarland and the coaching staff don't have the answers to that is probably the most worrying thing of all. Um, yeah, they're in they're in a mess at the moment. Um, they sent a very strong team to to Benetton last weekend, which, all things being equal, they wouldn't have been in a position to have to send the front the frontliners over there, particularly with what's coming over the next two weeks in the Champions Cup, and to have lost uh, over there to a Benetton team who, you know, it must be said, have been good this season, but Ulster made them look like you know the All Blacks at times. Uh, They've big big issues. I mean, Dan McFarland coming out. Uh, last week and calling them soft to me was like unbelievably damning I think on the players you know you can point the finger at the coaches and supporters can all they like but I think their players have to look in the mirror and take responsibility here as well like you look at the amount of guys who last season in particular like that were playing out of their skin for, for Ulster like the likes of Mike Lowry James Hume Robert Balakoon, their form has just fallen off a cliff Ian Henderson has come back from injury and has looked really sluggish he hasn't really kind of hit the hit the heights so they're going to La Rochelle this weekend like you said Shane and La Rochelle had a massive win against Toulouse uh, last weekend in the top 14 and you know, Ron Nogara has changed the, the, the sort of perception of how La Rochelle would have looked at the Champions Cup which was obvious by the fact that they they beat Leinster in the final last year so they're going full in as well and they're they're trying to get top seeds as well because like I said it's so important when it comes to getting home advantage so uh, you mentioned the injuries I think um, Marty Moore has torn his ACL Robert Balacoon is out this weekend Maddie Ray Sean it's so like, the problems are mounting for Ulster and no one seems to, to have the answers but um they're going to have to come up with something special. I think they're... they're they're hanging by a thread as it is but if they were to lose this weekend then th- then that's it for them and for a team who at the start of the season would have had like, their sights set on winning silverware it's a massive massive you'd have to say disappointment like the, the thing about Ulster is they've, they've reached a certain point I think under Dan McFarland and like I've seen lots of people like calling for his head and things like that like people have short memories the job he has done since he came in you remember Brian O'Driscoll called Ulster a basket case before he came in he's done a brilliant job to get them on, back on track but they've reached a point now where they're competing for trophies but the gap to win the trophies is still huge so if you look at leinster like leinster said way out in front and that's what happens when you reach a certain point like expectations change and i think that's what's happened in ulster fans are expecting a lot more rightfully so because mm. they had such a good season last year but yet it ended in disappointment by you know they fell short in the urc when they could have had a home final with leinster out of the equation as well they lost the, the game in toulouse as well or not against it, not in toulouse it was uh, in belfast against toulouse games that they should be winning So there's definitely a bit of a soft underbelly, I think, to Ulster. And if they don't address that, I don't think they're going to end their quest for silver anytime soon.
1: Okay, will be interesting to see all the different narratives of the Irish provinces in action. I do want to um, discuss the Own Farrell debacle. So Own Farrell will be available. For the start of England Six Nations against Scotland on the 4th of February after receiving a four-match ban for a dangerous tackle. Farrell faced a disciplinary hearing uh, last night after his shoulder made contact with the head of Jack Clement in the 75th minute of Sarverson's Premiership victory over Gloucester on Friday. Although the four-match suspension would prevent him from running out at Twickenham in Steve Bortwick's first match in charge. This is the part that I can't get, wrap my head around. It will be reduced to three games if he completes World Rugby's coaching intervention programme. This is the point I want to raise to you. Firstly, two points firstly four weeks is that far too lenient or is it just and secondly a 30 something year old professional rugby player going to tackling a skill can have a week rode off
0: like the, the disciplinary process in rugby has been flawed for, for so many years and this is kind of further evidence of it um, like Owen Farrell is a repeat offender like that's the reality of it that he has already been in trouble in previously for for high tackles Um I was reading the the kind of the full the full outcome of the hearing earlier today and like it seems that they disregarded one an incident I think it was from 2016 because it was deemed that it happened too long ago which is pretty convenient really when you think of it but the big the big issue Shane I think is that so as soon as Owen Farrell got cited the ones in charge of you know deciding the outcome of the disciplinary process is the RFU so RFU Six Nations is just around the corner Owen Farrell is the England captain are or or a few realistically going to, you know, suspend their, their, their captain, essentially? So even, like, they've put in four games and one of the games is a week before the Six Nations. Like, there isn't a hope that Owen Farrell was going to be playing in that game anyway because he'd be in England camp. So there's so many holes in the process and while it's easy to kind of go down a rabbit hole about, you know why like it should have been longer or whatever you you shouldn't lose sight of the fact that like it's a high tackle and concussion is so you know like such a hot topic at the moment and I don't think the the Gloucester player got injured last week and that seems to have been taken into account as well when it really shouldn't like if a high tackle is a high tackle and if you want to if you want to change players' behaviours then the punishment has to fit the crime so um, it, it, it's it, you see the Johnny Sexton tackle over Christmas in, in the Connacht game as well, that didn't get picked up as well and that's not too dissimilar so it's not just Owen Farrell that's fallen into this bracket, there's plenty of players but it doesn't seem like their behaviours are changing so I, I, personally I think they have to come, World Rugby have to come down harder on it but it's not World Rugby making the decision here, it was the RFU and I think the outcome was pretty predictable in that case.
1: I think that answers my question of <laughs> who is, is handing down these uh, that's been Measures, but very best of luck to look to on and tackling school. I hope it all goes very well. Ephraim <laughs> uh, King Tracy, your gentleman. Thank you very much uh, for coming in the studio and chatting rugby. We'll be chatting uh, soon, no doubt. Uh, Damien Lawler's up next on the latest GAA stories of the week. RTE Two FM. Game on GAA. Now, hello once again. You're very welcome back to Game On. As I welcome Damien Lawler to the show to chat Gaelic games. Damien Lawler, how are you, sir? Shane, good evening, how are you? I'm very well, I'm very well. I'm all the better for chatting to you. Um, <laughs> okay. Let's get through uh, the headlines first. Uh, pre-season action in GEA. <clears throat> I know as a fan, I'm off to Parnell Park as soon as the show ends to watch Dublin uh, off in the O'Byrne Cup, and I cannot wait. However, yeah. Loud and Kildare, they don't fancy it too much. Leash Carlo is off tonight as well due to weather conditions. Are we nearing an end to these pre-season competitions?
3: Oh, it's definitely definitely high on the agenda now and it's gas chain because uh, the week one of pre-season action last week, you had 14,000 people attending games on a, on a Wednesday evening, I think it was, and you had 9,000 of those attending Ulster, uh, Ulster McKenna Cup games. So, that's one argument. The, the appetite is still there and the interest is still there. However, with the nature of the new the season and the new structure where, where the league is arguably more important than provincial championships um, well it's not arguably it is mm. uh, you know you're seeing huge emphasis on the national league and reading between the lines Shane there's no doubt about it there's some counties are pulling out of O'Burn Cup or other midweek games around the country to focus on the national league particularly if they're up against opposition that they'll be facing in their own divisions uh, in a couple of weeks time so alarm bells are ringing I'd say now uh, not long ago the Leinster Council for example were looking to take pre-season competitions off the agenda but counties contacted them and pleaded with them to reinstall competitions like the O'Byrne Cup um, and now you have a situation where counties are starting to pull out of it once they're gone out of the final now the O'Byrne Cup I reported on finals Shane where there was 10,000 people in attendance uh, that was probably back in the year of Paul O'Shea as West Meet Manager but around that time the, uh, the, the, the crowds were absolutely massive and I remember that final for two reasons uh, one because there was 10,000 people at it and, and secondly I got two penalty points on the way home um, after I finally got away from all the traffic I was in such a rush to make up ground uh, so that sticks with me for a long long time but I suppose on a serious level Shane all, a, a lot of the funds from these competitions go to good causes like in Leinster a, 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 a player benevolent fund would have been the recipient of, of the Oberon Cup or the Walsh Cup gate receipts that maybe to support players former players who've fallen in hard times or who've got injuries uh, or hospital bills and it was a, you know a meaningful gesture mm-hmm. it was also a great way of getting uh, county teams ready for league action and developing new players blooding them in seeing how they cope in the cut and they trust of it and you know what all that is in danger now because you're cramming in exams you're cramming in Sigerson Cup and Fitzgibbon Cup hurling and you have a national league that's more important than ever, and it's just around the corner. So, from the outside, if this week's evidence is anything to go by, alarm bells are definitely ringing, and the GEA will have to take a closer look at this. But it's up to each provincial council to see, you know, what goes ahead and what stage of the season. And very few people up in Ulster have ever complained about the McKenna Cup. In in fact, they look forward to it. The O'Burn Cup has taken quite a hammering this time around.
1: I don't know as a fan I just maybe um I'm just uh, nostalgic in this but I, I love going up the Parnell Auburn Cup Welsh Cup I'm sure like you know if you stick your fans cap I know you're, you're a, a GAA man as as such Damo like yeah. I mean going to see say Tipperary or or whoever it may be anyone listening in their own respective yeah. counties like surely fans want to see these but it gives it a chance to see new players new faces I know yeah. from a, an organisational point of view you have Sigurdsson Fitzgibbon and so on and so forth but, but from a fans point of view surely this is so, this so. appetite
3: so I'll give you my own honest opinion. Uh, as a GEA supporter, like, there's no county panel that's kind of... There's not many county panels that have just 30 players. A lot of them have 40, even 42, 43. And the GPA players charter has decreed that everybody on the panel gets looked after for expenses now, not just the first 26 or the first 30. So that's not an issue. So yeah, to answer your question, how many young lads are there screaming... To get a jersey in a game. Mm-hmm. They're probably in the gym on a conditioning program for two years before they're even considered for selection. But one thing Dublin football has always done well is, uh, you know, play maybe not even not even a second choice team, but a third choice team, uh, and you know, see who comes from that. And like, look at Killian O'Gara for example, and the way he's putting his hand up for future consideration. So yeah, under no circumstances anywhere in Ireland should an intercounty manager really be stretched enough to be pulled out of a game like that. You know, you have another 15 players challenging for a jersey aside from the 15 or 20 that you're using on a match day. Give them a game. Uh, you're, you're, you're probably going to end up playing a challenge match anyway, Shane, just against different opposition. You know, that's, that's the reality of it. And uh, I, I have a suspicion that one or two counties will be playing challenge matches uh, who might not have fulfilled the fixture. So it's, a, it's very perplexing and... Uh, again it just shows you the, the weight that this year's National League carry is going to be some competition but as regards the Oberon Cup on thin ice now you know and I don't think the Leinster Council will be one bit happy with the way it's panned out because it's it's uh, I, I won't say it's disrespectful or anything like that but it's definitely disappointing
1: Yeah, no. and, you know
3: it's all over the place as well
1: yeah no it is it's it's frustrating and, and I can understand that teams perhaps might want to show their hand because we are so close to the mm. league and you don't have the media scrutiny and, and, and so on and so forth but it's I, I don't know maybe it's it's giving back to the fans and at the end of the day sure isn't that what the the GA is about I do want to move on and talk GAA and money because a significant step was taken in the GA's infrastructure programme with the rubber yeah. stamping of 1.8 million by the Munster Council in club development grants you had this story on the RT website what is happening here Damien?
3: Yeah, so basically for the last three years, Shane, all the infrastructure, financial infrastructure in the GEA stopped and it meant that counties were not getting grants from Munster Council and Central Council and in turn they could not transfer those down to clubs. So, I think 400 clubs, 440 clubs actually this time around applied for help from the Munster Council and I think uh, nearly 400 of those have received help. What's that mean, Shane? It means that the ball wall can go ahead. You know, money can be made available towards the floodlights. Uh, a new 3G pitch, the, some of the costs can be met on that. Uh, a new clubhouse can be built. The dressing rooms can be revamped. Um, anything like that where infrastructure is involved, this can finally go ahead now. And uh, the Munster Council, uh, along with Central Council, handed over £1.8 million, uh, to cover the last three years. And a big pause was stepped on all the association's finances in that period, Jen. So wh- while, while the pandemic has probably not gone away and we know, we know by the health, public health figures it's still out there and it strains everywhere and we're at a particularly difficult point again with the whole uh, outbreak and, you know, the whole COVID and the strains of it at the moment. The good news is that, you know, GEA life has, has got back to close to being normal and the, the money is flowing through the, the, the channels again. And effectively... When the gates and crowds were were opened up during COVID and everybody's buying their ticket online, it's cashless society now in in the GEA. And all that money is now starting to filter right back down to the clubs again. And what they do is they consider your application. The good thing is the clubs are already paying for it. A nice whack of this themselves. So there's development going on at at local level. The community is in behind it. Government grants perhaps. Central Council are helping. But the Munster Council are able to help clubs in the six counties now again. It keeps the ball rolling. Um, I was up in done on, on, on Monday, Shane, covering for RT News and just the facilities that they have up there. You know, two 3G pitches, uh, a Centre of Excellence Academy, um, a, a proper clubhouse. And you see facilities like that all over Ireland. And these grants are what help clubs keep, keep improving and keep progressing and keep developing. And that's what it's all about. Uh, the GEA, I'm certainly laughed at a lot for saying that during COVID the GEA was struggling financially because it's not cash rich. All the, the money that they have flows through the systems right back down to grassroots level, Shane. And the 1.8 million that we spoke about today, uh, it's come back to the clubs all across Munster.
1: Well, it's brilliant to see that it will benefit the clubs. Um, a little bit earlier, we had Keane Tracy on chatting rugby and we were rolling our eyes at the uh, disciplinary pr- procedures to own Farrell. However, I want to chat disciplinary in the GAA because at times we have rolled our eyes at the C C C C C etc, etc. However, there has been um, an increased suspension coming from the incident uh, in Parnell Park between Wexford's the Tabala. And mm. Nave Barogue, this is a, it's a strange one, Damien, isn't
3: it? Well, yeah. Like so, I mean, they, there's a three thousand fine imposed on Allard and uh, three other players were suspended for forty eight weeks. Uh, th- those are penalties that would would rule them out of the twenty twenty three Wexford Senior Championships. Uh, another player was suspended for sixteen weeks. Two more suspended for twelve weeks. But you know, it, it's kind of coming across to Shane that uh, players who were banned for a, a certain amount of time. Uh, might have appealed that and got their, their suspensions increased. So, this all ties into stories that we would have covered on Game On before Christmas, whereby the GEA basically said that they're going to crack down, they're looking for motions to go ahead of Congress, uh, they're going to look, look to crack down on discipline, they're going to look to crack down on appeals of discipline, whereby you know, it, it, it's a, it's a bit maybe rich to be appealing the system and let's be honest with you. there was video footage on this game, Shane, maybe, which provides the Leinster Council with clear evidence. So the bottom line is, we were told before Christmas the GEA were cracking down, we were told that they were looking for ways and mechanisms to be legally able to clamp down and tighten the discipline reign without it being challenged by barristers and solicitors and DRA trials and all that sort of stuff. This seems to be the first example of it, um, whereby, you know, you are being punished for, for, for appealing. Like, two players from the... Wexford Clubs the Wexford Club who had been banned for ter- ter- 24 and 36 weeks have seen their bans increase to 48 weeks each mm. um, so Derry you go they're actually putting their their, um, their money where their mouth is in this instance now Owler de Bala maybe could feel that they've been heavily penalised here and I think the chances are they will appeal further uh, so early doors anyway it does seem to be that the GE are falling open under promise to crack down because we had Minister of Sport at the time uh, Jack Chambers commenting on that incident, and that didn't look good for, for the, the GEA to have a government minister, you know, kind of, you yeah. know, I suppose, rightly criticising the events of, of that day. You also had other events in Wexford, and you had events in Roscommon that were quite high-profile last year, and with all these events really being captured on social media these days, that's, that's the reality of it. Um, there's no more hiding place, I would imagine. So it'd be really, really interesting, Shane, coming up to a big final in 2023 if a player gets a ban or a suspension what will the approach be? Will they just accept it now or will they go appealing? You know, so the nature has always been to appeal, really. Um, But now the GA are saying that they won't tolerate any time-wasting appeals, really.
1: Well, it's about time and it will be very interesting. Uh, Excuse me, as you mentioned, Damien, thank you very much uh, for chatting, GA. Really interesting stuff. We're going to be chatting uh, the history of the League of Ireland with historian Conor Curran and Conan Burns still in studio as well. So stick with us here on Game On 2 FM.
0: Game On Football.
1: Now, you're very welcome back to the final part of Game On on this Wednesday evening as we turn our attention to the League of Ireland. However, just before we do so, um, I did bring the news earlier that uh, the breaking news, uh, that Roy Barrett is stepping down as chairperson of the FAI. Uh, Gary Tuig, independent director, is also stepping away. Conan Byrne, just to get your immediate reaction on that news.
2: The FAI is seeking to ensure 40% female representation on the board by the end of the year under terms of the government bailout and with only two currently on it, in Catherine Guy and Liz Joyce, obviously something needed to be done there and Gary Tuig has left too and that will mean that he won't be seeking ratification as a director at the resumed AGM now on the 21st of January so look I think Barrett is be a, a blow to the FAI in terms of his, the way he's leaving um, he guided the FAI through a chaotic but messy period and mm. um, Um, Stephen Kenny won't be too impressed either because he was a a vocal supporter of him. So that would be disappointing for Stephen Kenny. But the legacy that Barrett will hold is that the FBI, he has led the FBI to greater financial stability. Although not yet out of it completely, Shane.
1: OK, will be interesting to see what that means, uh, as you mentioned there, a broader picture for the FAI and football in Ireland. However, football in Ireland, uh, we are going to be chatting League of Ireland. Connor Curran from Trinity College joins me now because there is a one-day conference exploring the history of the League of Ireland uh, set to take place this Saturday at Dalyman Park in Dublin. The event coincides with the publication of of the league of ireland and historical and contemporary assessment connor curran thank you very much uh, for joining us um i suppose a brief overview for our listeners what is this um conference and uh, significance of this history of league of ireland event
4: Uh, good evening shane um and thanks for having me on the program um yes so a, a few years ago i um was um, given a chance to do some work for Dublin City Council on the history of um, soccer in Dublin. And um, we we intended to host a conference um, to mark the, the centenary of the League of Ireland in uh, 2021. Obviously, that didn't come around with um, COVID restrictions and so on. So um, one of the things I did at that time was to... Um, uh, edit a special journal on the history of the League of Ireland with some of the leading soccer historians in the country and that's just been published so Saturday will give us a chance to finally come face to face and um, you know um, give our papers in, in, uh, to the general public in um, in Dalyman Park the spiritual home of Irish soccer I suppose so it'll just really give us a chance to um, bring our research and um, um, to the public uh, audience um, Um, on Saturday Mm.
1: No it is, it's brilliant and the topic is covered over the course of the day so it's on at half nine to quarter past four um, include football in the late 19th century in Dublin attitudes to sport during the Irish Civil War the League of Ireland's inaugural season in the early 1920s and the use of sport to further human rights in society and the formation of women's football governing bodies in Ireland throughout your your course of of study and your, your research what was the most striking or alarming thing that struck you about the League of Ireland?
4: Uh, I suppose it was a struggle for the League of Ireland from the start. Um, I suppose after partition would have been kind of a drive to gaelicise Ireland through the schools and through culture and, um, you know, buying Irish products, promoting the Irish language. And one of the things was that um, the Finance Act 1927, um, the GA was deemed exempt from paying income tax on its profits, whereas... um, soccer organizers didn't have that at Liberty so um, I suppose soccer has always kind of been the poor relation of, of Gaelic games in this country particularly since partition um, so it's, I suppose it's been a, particularly in, in rural areas in, in the countryside you've got the GA with a probably a stronger national identity and um, you know the parish um, um, support and so on that maybe the League of Ireland hasn't been able to attract Um but, um, yeah, so it, it's, it's, it's been a tough challenge, particularly since the 1970s um, when, when League of Ireland crowds began to deteriorate with, um, you know, the greater accessibility to games in England and, of course, um, for supporters wishing to travel over on ferries and so on and packages being organised. And also, um, of course, televised English matches on a Sunday afternoon match today. That, so that, that was a, a big hit for the, for the League of Ireland, like in terms of the loss of attendance and, and revenue and so on.
2: Hey Duncan, um I'm reading the Rodfather at the moment, Roddy Collins' new book, and obviously he talked about his move up the north with playing for with Crusaders and spoke about how the majority of people were absolutely fantastic to him. I've obviously played with Glenavon more recently up there. My question is, what was it like in those early days of the at the start of just past after the Civil War with James Craig leading leading the northern charge up there, with players from Dublin travelling up there?
4: Yes, I suppose. I suppose in the nineteen twenties, um, there was still some movement of um, of players from the Free State League up up into um, Belfast to play for clubs up there. In nineteen twenty nine, you had um, a player called Coyle and another called Moore who were playing for Newry Town. So there was still some movement. I suppose there were there was um, the money was there in, in the Irish League. Um, moving on to nineteen thirties, you had Tom O'Regan who um, won a. Irish Cup medal with Linfield he'd moved from Waterford to Linfield in the 1930s because Waterford ran into financial difficulties 1940s then after the war there was players moving to Glen Torn like um, Con Martin just to use mainly as a stepping stone to go to England and um, 1946 then there was a kind of a a change in the transfer system whereby um, there wasn't as much movement after that and the transfer restrictions tightened up so I suppose if you were to jump forward to the, the Troubles then, um, there wouldn't have been much moving up there. But um, from my own research, Dermot Keeley in 1981, when he joined Horn, he... Um, would have been, you know, one of the first players to kind of emerge in, in that period in the, in the troubles, um to, to move up. Um obviously he still he was teaching in Dublin, he still still lived in Dublin. He travelled up and down on the train every Saturday for matches. Um he would have been well enough accepted in there and he was followed by other players like um Harry McHugh who joined Glontorne as well. You had Brian O'Shea joining Uri Town. I suppose one of the reasons was it was just better money in the in the, in the Irish League um, in the late 20th century and um, 1990s, then you saw, like with Linfield as well, um, players like Pat Fenlon, um and Desi Gorman move, moving up to play for them. So um, I suppose as long as they were doing their job on the pitch, they were accepted by the supporters and, and fans. Um, I don't know how that fits in with your own experience, Colin.
1: Unfortunately, we're going to have to leave that that answer from Conan for another time. Conor Cullen, we have run out of time, uh, but thank you, or Conor Curran, I should say, excuse me, uh, we've run out of time. Thank you very much uh, for taking the call. As I mentioned, half nine to quarter past four in Daily Mount Park. uh, should be fascinating. Lots of topics covered. I know, Conan, you mentioned about uh, Richmond Barracks and and the British soldiers and everything else, and Bohemians entertaining British Army soldiers in 1915, so lots of topics to be covered. Unfortunately, though, Sinead, uh, big thanks to Andrew de and John Farrell uh, for working diligently behind the scenes. Better the Silva is up next after the news but from all of the game on team we'll be back at 6 o'clock tomorrow so it is bye for now